from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's do that again. I want to hear you through the broadcast. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good morning, friends. My name is Tony Sundermeyer. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta, and I want to welcome you to worship on this Easter Sunday, April the 12th, 2020. No matter if you are joining us via live stream on Facebook, on YouTube, on demand, on WSB radio, or watching on AIB television, we're so thankful that you've chosen to be a part of Easter worship today. Our Old Testament reading for this glorious Easter morning is from Psalm 118. Hear now God's word for all of us this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And turning to the New Testament, our lesson is from John's Gospel, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Here again, God's word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. 
but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for the good news of this day. That even in the shadow of COVID-19, with uncertainty, loss all around us, we see pictures and glimpses of promise of hope, of courage and strength. We long for such things in our lives and in the life of the world. And so we would pray to that end, you would break open this ancient word afresh to us, that it would change us, encourage us, comfort us, and mold us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our 17-year-old son, Johnny, began reading Harry Potter to our family last week. Uh, Sometimes his 8-year-old cousin videos in from New Jersey. Sometimes one of his grandfathers joins us as well. And most evenings, he's reading a single chapter to us. I was reminded as he was reading the early parts of the first book, how clear it becomes to the reader that Harry Potter, the main character, is part of a really big story. But it's a story that he knows nothing about as his cruel aunt and uncle have kept the specifics and the details from him his entire life. The magical world to which he belongs is one he knows nothing about. It isn't until his new friend Hagrid shows up. Hagrid is the keeper of the keys and the gamekeeper at the Hogwarts school, and he shows up and 
begins to unveil this great mystery to Harry, begins to unveil his story. But as Hagrid learns of, of Harry's ignorance regarding his origin, regarding his identity, he becomes angry with Harry's aunt and uncle, and he speaks to them harshly. He says, do you mean to tell me that this boy, this boy knows nothing about anything? Turning to Harry, Hagrid continues, Harry, you, you know nothing of our world? Your world? My world? Your parents' world? Harry innocently responds, what world? The question Harry Potter asks in those early chapters of the series, what world, makes every other moment and every other page in that seven book series even possible. Without that inquiry, without that question, there is no book two through book seven. Without his desire to know the truth, to know about his true origin, to know about his gifts, to know about the world to which he belongs, without that question, there is no story. Friends, I believe the story of Easter, the story of God raising Jesus from the dead following his brutal execution on a Roman cross, I believe the story of Easter invites us all to ask the question, to what world do I belong? I believe that this was the question on the mind of Mary Magdalene, whose reality was turned upside down and inside out when she discovered the real reason the stone had been rolled away. What world is this to which I belong? What world has God unlocked for us by raising Jesus from the dead? Friends, the question is so important on this Easter day. It is the question I believe we must consider. The question that Harry Potter asked is the same one we must ask in this very hour. What world is this? And what remains for us is a question as to whether or not we will be curious enough, be open enough to have courage to come face to face with that world, to see if that world is our world as well. Now, a certain measure of, of how we understand our world, a certain measure of how we understand our place in the world, how we define it, uh, is born out of our habits and our routines. This is part of the reason quarantine and stay-at-home measures have been so difficult in this time of COVID-19. Uh, 
This time has drastically altered our routines, the rhythms of life, the, the habits of life in which we engage actually give our lives meaning. They don't just occupy time, they give our identity shape. But what happens when those routines are upended, when those routines are upset and when those three, when those routines rather are, are thrown out of order, we not only feel the loss of those routines in and of themselves, but we also grieve the loss of the meaning and the identity that are attached and naturally flow from them. Who am I if I cannot go to work? Who am I if, I if I cannot go to school? Who am I if I cannot be with my friends? Who am I if, I if I can't play this sport or I can't perform in this musical or, or can't have my graduation? Who am I if I can't volunteer? If I can't give back? Who am I if I can't travel to those spaces that refresh me and, and rejuvenate me? Who am I? if I can't have my wedding now? Who am I if I can't be in my church on Easter Sunday? Who am I if I can't have a funeral for the one I love? Who am I if I can't be next to my friend or family member who is in hospice care? Friends, these are the traumas and losses of our time. Absolutely, we should not gloss over death and illness and all that we see that has been caused by this virus. Yes, absolutely, we should name the incredible burden that has been undertaken by those in leadership positions, particularly those in the medical profession we're on the front lines of fighting this virus. We should name those things, but we should also name our personal and collective traumas, not just in the loss of these routines and the rhythms of our lives, but also the loss of the meaning and the identity that those routines create and reflect back to us. And so we need to take a moment today just to name the trauma to name the sadness of our time, to name all the losses, to have empathy for those who are losing differently than we are losing in this time, and to remember that loss is and loss has been and loss will be a part of our world. Of course, something we may have also discovered in these strange and peculiar times is the truth that when routines are interrupted, it actually gives us a chance to reevaluate why we do what we do in the first place. On a grand scale, it gives us the opportunity to judge with our own eyes and with our own minds to judge what is right about our living and what needs to be changed. It gives us an opportunity to receive a new world marked by new routines, marked by new habits that at their very best have us living a more abundant and just and faithful life. 
And for people of faith, for people of faith, it gives us an opportunity to see God at work through the element of the unexpected, to see God work through surprise and spontaneity as we discover new gifts and, and new blessings that perhaps we never imagined being ours before. This past week, I, I received an email from one of our church members. His name is Paul, and, and he's in his mid-90s. He was thanking us for last week's Palm Sunday service, and he wrote this, why, I do not know, but the pre-recorded online Palm Sunday service reminded me of a special service I shall always remember during World War II. I was a paratrooper, and we had jumped into a remote area, and we were there on Sunday. The chaplain came and set up a service in the woods. For some reason, that service was very meaningful to me because it very eloquently spoke the mission of the church when convenience and re repeated routine is absent. Because it eloquently spoke the mission of the church when convenience and repeated routine is absent. First off, how amazing is it that we have a member in our congregation who was a paratrooper during World War II? I mean, that's incredible. Second, I think our friend Paul is on to something. When routine is absent, when routine is upended, we can receive something new. We can receive something fresh. Sometimes when our routines have ceased. That's precisely when God surprises us with something we now have that we never knew we needed. Surprises us with a deeper meaning or something so transformative that when we receive it, our lives will never, ever be the same. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, we learn that Mary is headed to the tomb Make no mistake, hers is a routine performed by mourners across the generations. Going to the place where the dead have been laid to rest, to pray, to weep, to grieve. Like I said, death and loss are, are part of our world and they always will be. But Mary's routine Mary's routine will be interrupted by the discovery that the stone had been rolled away. She runs back and tells Peter and John what she has seen, and they run to the tomb, and they see that Mary's account was accurate. The text says that the disciples returned home, but Mary stayed at the tomb. She wept outside the tomb. Perhaps she wept because... She couldn't mourn properly, knowing that Jesus' body was, was not in the tomb. Perhaps she wept because she lost the routine of grieving. She wept because a world where you're still able to grieve and lament the loss of your rabbi and the loss of your friend had crumbled right before her eyes. It's, it's then, at that moment, that she turns her eyes into the tomb and sees two angelic messengers there. 
They inquire, they, they, they want to know, why are you weeping? And she says to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. And at that moment, another voice speaks from behind her. Why are you weeping? Who is it that you are looking for? She turns and, and she supposes that this one is the gardener. Perhaps he's the one that carried the body of Jesus away. But he had done no such thing. And oh, by the way, this isn't the gardener. Mary, he said to her. And she immediately realized, standing there right before her, this man was the resurrected Christ. What world is this? What world now stands in front of Mary? What world now stands in front of us? Could there be such a world where suffering and death do not have the final word? Could there be a world of miracles? Could there be a world where the embrace of God cannot be stifled or defeated? Could there be a world where stones are actually rolled away? Could there be a world where my truest, deepest sense of who I am is wrapped up in the unconditional love of God and God's mission to defeat the powers of death, the powers of fear, of guilt, and shame, the power of sin itself. Friends, because of Easter, this is the world we inherit. When the routines crumble, when the routine of dead people staying in their tomb is upended, this is the world, this is the gift that surprises us. This is the world we receive. It is standing right in front of our eyes. This is the world Jesus lived for. This is the world that he died for. This is the world that he was raised for because of what God did in and through him. Ours is a world of hope. It's a world of hope. Easter does not create a world void of free will. Easter does not create a world void of suffering. Easter does not create a world that overturns our vulnerabilities and our mortality. Easter does not mean that we won't have empty churches on our holiest day because of a global pandemic. But what it does mean, what the empty tomb does guarantee for us is that we receive a world of hope Hope that we can change. Hope that we can get through this. Hope that we can love in our time the way Jesus loved in his. Hope that our trauma and our pain can be healed. Hope that we can be released from our addictions. Hope that reconciliation is possible. Hope that physical healing is possible. Hope that we can learn to love and accept ourselves the way God loves and accepts us. Hope that we can receive exactly what we need in our journey with mental illness or physical illness. Hope in the darkest hours of our depression. Hope that we will find comfort in our our loneliness and in our grief. 
hope that we can work for justice and peace in the context in which they are absent. Hope that we will find purpose and passion and meaning in life. Hope that the poor and the vulnerable and the left out and the left behind will find a seat at the table. Hope that we are more than our zip code, more than our portfolio, more than our GPA, more than our status. Hope that we, like Mary, can see with our own eyes the resurrected Christ in moments of prayer in disguise of the least of these, and in one another. Hope that we can live an empowered life because the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the spirit that lives inside of you and inside of me. And ultimate hope, hope that when we die, when we draw our final breath, we too will be raised with Christ Jesus our Lord for all eternity. Friends, churches are empty today, but our hope is full because the tomb is hollow and unoccupied. He is not here. He is risen. This is our world. This is our story because of what God has done in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And this, friends, is the world that's waiting for us, a world that we are called to receive. Now must be the time to make it our story. Now must be the time to make it our truth, to allow it to shape how we find meaning in this world and how we understand ourselves in this world and the way we will walk the earth in resurrection power. Friends, this is our world. This is our hope. Alleluia. Amen.